0: That's Indeed.com slash sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple of things to talk to you about. Superdraft, great new way to play daily fantasy sports. Highly recommend checking it out. It's unlike any other. You play the players you want because there's no prices. It's a multiplier point system. The riskier the pick, the higher multiplier they have. They have baseball, basketball, football, hockey, golf. Come check it out. Superdraft. When you create your account, use promo code Bubba, and then you'll get a $10 deposit bonus whenever you deposit. But when you create your account, use promo code Bubba. Superdraft's in your app store. $10 deposit bonus. Come check it out. Also, if you're rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help the podcast out quite a bit. Toby and I love doing this show on Mondays, whenever we works on our schedule. It's an absolute blast. Lots of cool stuff coming up this uh, offseason for you to get ready for the 2020 draft season. We talk about some of it tonight, but most importantly, we look back on 10 players that we each we got wrong, 10 hitters we each got wrong going into 2019 throughout the baseball season. But for now, Bench with Bubba, episode 219, Bubba and the Bat Flip 10. back, everybody. Do Bubba and the Bat Flip Edition 10. Going to talk about some players that we got wrong in fantasy baseball this year. Players we either weren't high on to start the season or were way too high on and did not perform the way we expected to start the season. And it's always fun to look back and you know, see what mistakes or just kind of misjudgments we made. Because baseball, you can't really say mistakes all the time. Just random events happen. And that is baseball, fantasy, anything in life. In order to break all that down, my co-host as always on this endeavor. You can find my on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man?
2: We are doing pretty well, Bubba. Just kind of doing this uh, post-mortem on the fantasy baseball season, but I don't know about you. I'm already uh, ready to draft. I actually have my first draft of the season coming up on Saturday um, at First Pitch Arizona, so I'm really excited about that. I don't know what I'm going to do uh, without projections for next season, but uh, it should be should be fun. Hopefully, take some of the lessons we learned going through these players we missed and apply them to the draft on Saturday.
1: Yep, I'm super jealous you're going to get to go there. Uh, a lot of good dudes there. I've just seen some guys I've talked to on recent shows. Um, one of these early October is not good for me when it comes to work. I was all excited mm-hmm. to go in November when they changed the date it screwed
2: it all up. For me. Oh, so, man, sorry, um, that's a bummer. Yeah, yeah I, I listened a- to your to your pod with uh, Matt Modica. That was. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. Great job.
1: Yeah. Maddie Moe's one of the most awesome dudes I've uh, got to interact with on all this time. So you'll get to meet him in the flash. he will be there. So that'll be fun. And a lot of good guys will be there. So that'll be fun. And you'll be drafting on Saturday. I'll be watching all the stuff on Twitter, everybody. I keep trying to get uh, – I talk to Bloomfield all the time. I keep telling him, dude, you guys just need to sell like a video package or a PDF even package. Of all okay. the speakings and like you make money. on, I would buy them if I could like sit and
2: live stream this stuff. I would do it. So yeah,
1: um, yeah, one of these days.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I feel lucky to go. It's, it's weird for the longest time with my old job. I couldn't go because it was in early November and then moving and having a new job. I was going to be good regardless of when it was. So that's a bummer. Maybe they'll move it back to, uh, to November so you can go next year.
1: Yeah, hopefully they move it back or something changes at work. We'll see. Time will tell. But uh, maybe next year we'll make it work because it would have been perfect. Uh, birthdays next Tuesday would have been a great weekend to go. So oh, it would have been, been excellent. Yeah, Happy it would have been a fun – In advance. Uh, thank you. It would have it been a blast. So it is what it is. But um, we'll recap we- all this. Like you said, I started I started doing my catcher rankings, which is always the best place to start. <laughs> and um, Everybody
2: always starts with a catcher.
1: Yeah, I just kind of want to get rid of it all, but uh, it's it's crazy. It'll be fun when we get to discuss that position because after like the top, I'll say nicely, five or six, you can make arguments for everybody else because like, was it a fluke? Was it not a fluke? Like, every, it was, it's wild, wild at the catcher's position. So it'll be fun to say the That's last. Time. And one of the uh, players, I think I might have put him on the list. is one of the players like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, number number six on the list as a catcher this year. So we'll talk about him, but yeah, let's get we into put it. I'm down there. Yes, yes, we both were very, very high on him. I remember we talked to Barf, we were very high on him. I drafted him, you were mad. Looks like you were the winner on that one. Um, let's let's kick it off here. We both have the same number one, and we didn't, you know, this is a different list here. But start off with your first guy that you got wrong.
2: Yeah, so the first guy that I, uh, that I put down for getting wrong was uh, the, the likely NL MVP, um, and that is Cody Bellinger. Um, I wasn't uh, terribly wrong on Bellinger um, earlier on. Early on in draft season, I was kind of down on him, but as I ran the projections and the um, standard gain points, the SGP, um, I kind of grew a little bit more of an affinity for him, but not enough of an affinity to draft him in any of my 14 teams. And so the fact that he was available, you know, in kind of the mid 40s range, and I don't have any shares of him kind of tells you I think enough that I wasn't as high as other folks were um on Bellinger. I think the reason um I've kind of gone through each player and, and thought through exactly what I was thinking and why I wasn't into them or why I was into them and I was wrong. You know, with Bellinger, I think um I did have concerns about the power. You know, we saw a uh power drop off after that rookie season where he came out really hitting. And so I think that, that was something that I kind of didn't really buy into was, you know, that his power was going to be so much that it was going to be like a lot better than league average. And then I also didn't believe in the second half contact increase. Um, and so he showed improved contact in the second half. He was a much better player in the second half last year. But I think that I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't paying enough attention to those pieces. And I also think, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always a a big fan of, you know, power speed guys or average and speed guys. And the fact that he did have power, he did have speed. And that was supported by, you know, his sprint score and other things, you know, really, I think was just a miss on my part and maybe represented, you know, a little bit of a bias uh, against him. Uh, And I'll also say that, you know, contact rate gains, Stabilize. They're one of the quickest stats to stabilize, and so the fact that I wasn't willing to buy into that, and that continued this year, you know, just reflects, I think, maybe a little bit of poor analysis on on my end. I could not foresee the happy fun ball, which I think definitely helped him out a lot uh, with his power. But he had thirty more hard hit fly ball, hard hit pulled fly balls this year than he did. Um, last year and and that that's not something that you can necessarily foresee but i think i missed a few key indicators which resulted in me not um not having any shares what did you what do you have down for uh for our buddy cody bellinger a lot of it's similar to what you had when i did i pulled up my 2019
1: rankings right before opening day basically for my positions and i had him as the sixth first baseman off the board according to my rankings which you know Wasn't too far off from what actually happened, I guess. It wasn't like crazy, crazy talk. But uh, when you you look at belly bombs, I was looking like in 18, I was down on him. So I couldn't, I didn't think he could duplicate 17. He didn't like the average is close, but 14 fewer home runs is big in this day and age where people were drafting him. And I wasn't just as high as people were on him. Now to know 47 homers, 15 stolen bases, all the numbers that are there are insane. And the biggest thing is, is he he dropped his K rate from basically 24% to 16 and a half percent that is a humongous drop off and you look at last year's bat uh you know he's only got 302 Babbitt which isn't even that great for what he's doing like the 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 numbers he's put up this year are are outstanding and I I didn't expect this this insane of a season I expected maybe a, a duplicate of 18 maybe slightly better than 18 and that for me wasn't worthy of where he was going in drafts obviously I was wrong there but uh and I paid the price for that one. But uh yeah, for me it was I, I wasn't I wasn't feeling this power and maybe the bouncy fun ball helped a little bit, but the fifteen stolen bases as well was a huge plus. And and most importantly, I thought he was definitely gonna be like a two seventy hitter. That three oh five average is something I did not <laughs> see coming
2: at all. So I was quite, quite surprised on Cody Bellinger. Definitely. Yeah, and I, and I'll say, like, I think that first half was just about the best that we will probably see in Buddy Bellinger's career. You can't get much better than that. I think this may be, you know, he's still a young guy, but I think a lot broke his way this year. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this is the best season we see, uh, particularly in the batting average department um, from Bellinger. So uh, I wouldn't count on him to be the batting average asset he's been this year. But I will say... You know, there was some improvement in the contact rate. And then in addition, and in kind of looking under the hood, Bellinger did have a a pretty strong increase in his in-zone swing percentage. So essentially he got a lot more aggressive in the zone and he also made more contact in the zone. And so I think that's partially why you see that K rate going down so much. But a lot of guys who had the same CSW, so-called plus swinging strike, as bellinger ended up with a k rate around 19% so i do think that 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 k rate is likely to go up a little bit um here uh you know in in 2020 although not i think as much as maybe i initially anticipated yeah no i i don't see him being this good next year i'll probably be, i've already
1: you know done mock drafts and stuff and I, I won't be taking him where he's going already there's other guys i'd rather gamble on There's people that want him top four, top five. I'll be taking other people. He'd have to be back into the first round for me to probably jump on him, which means I probably won't have anything. So uh,
2: we'll see. We'll see it all. All right, who's your number two? Number two. Oh, man, this one is, uh, uh, is a painful one. This was my most owned player coming out of drafts, and that is Jake Bowers. Uh, We got some great, uh, some great gift work this afternoon. Um, Who was it? Uh, Cody is his first name. Cody McDonald um, put together uh, or found a gift of Jake Bowers. That is pretty much emblematic of his season and the way that I am left feeling after investing heavily in Bowers. Um, So I think what I, what I was expecting heading into the season uh, with Bowers, I saw a guy with strong plate discipline. I saw some improving contact as the season pro- progressed, and then a decent batted ball mix. Um, you know, solid speed, six stolen bases, and less than uh, 400 plate appearances. And then I also thought that the move to Cleveland was really nice because it, uh, you know, it's a great place for left-handed power hitters. You think about guys who may not be exceptional when it comes to power and in kind of Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, although Lindor, I think is kind of established as, you know, a guy who's just all around amazing. But, um, you know, I thought he could benefit from that uh, that's that stadium. And that, uh, that didn't, that didn't happen. Uh, He was a dud uh, all around. And when I kind of take a look back, I think the biggest biggest mistakes I made with Bowers was with the speed. Um, His sprint score wasn't anything to write home about, and he was only six for 12 um, last year on the base path. So he didn't have a great success rate, stolen base success rate. And so I focused on the six stolen bases, but not necessarily that success rate. And then looking back in two of his previous three minor league seasons, he'd also only been um, 10 for 16 on the base paths, which is not good, especially in the minor leagues. And so he really didn't have great pedigree when it came to speed and success on the base paths. And I don't necessarily think that I factored that yeah. in enough when thinking about his speed. He was part of my bold predictions. I think I said he was going to go 25, 15, and he only ended up with three stolen bases and he was caught three times as well. And so again, only a 50% success rate and not anything that, um, is great um, and then I think the other thing is the power metrics you know I was looking at his hard hit rate a little bit of a bump towards the second half of last year but nothing on stat cast really jumped out he didn't have a high max exit below he didn't have a high barrel rate and so you know there wasn't a lot to point towards that power and I think we saw that like not even the the juiced ball was able to help him uh, get to his 25 home runs he finished with uh, with twelve, and then I also think I made a mistake uh, in terms of focusing on his pulled uh, fly ball rate, which was pretty high last year. That isn't a predictive metric. There are some people who are able to repeat it, like Alex Bregman, um, but it, it just wasn't something that he was able to repeat, and it was something that he relied on for his power. And then finally, I think, and and I apologize for just going on and on because you know, especially for Bowers, it's just like I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? But one great thing is, um, you know, I've learned about called plus swinging strike rate, um, which, you know, thanks to the folks over at Pitcher List about that. And, and I think I expected his K rate to drop a bunch. When you look at him, he's the opposite of Bellinger. He's very passive, even in the zone. His in uh, zone swing rate is much lower than league average. And so that passivity results in a lot of called strikes, which don't show up in things like contact rate and swinging strike rate. And so as a result, I actually shouldn't have expected much regression in that K rate and he actually got worse. And as did his CSW this year. So I think when you combine all of those things, I just kind of missed some key indicator indicators, uh, got a little bit obsessed with that uh, home run and speed uh, potential. I mean, the projections also liked Bowers. So I was a little bit in line with where they were, but I was also higher than the projections on him. So when I kind of look back, I think there's a number of pieces there that are learning opportunities um, from a stolen base perspective, I think also from uh, just a strikeout perspective, and learning new metrics and learning their application, and and I think those are things that I can kind of learn on moving forward. Who was your uh, who was your number two and and how you missed? My number two is
1: one that I even wrote an article about him being overpriced in a draft. Is Max Muncie? Uh, this is a guy that I think the biggest reason it wasn't that I didn't like his skills. Looking back on the article, it was I didn't like the Dodgers and the fact that they had a million players to platoon with him because that's what we saw last year was a lot of platooning and whatnot going on. And this year, he only played four more games than last year, put up the same homers, scored more runs, drove in almost 20 more runs, and hit for a lower average. It's a weird smorgasbord of fumble when it comes to fantasy. Max Muncie was outstanding. And when you go and look at his stat cast metrics, it's even crazier. He was in the 92nd percentile in x Weba, 86th in X-Slug, uh, 76 and hard hit rate. He was a very, very good player. And we saw the second half of the season, he really turned it on in a big, big way. We've seen it in the postseason with the long ball as well. And it's just weird. You look at his numbers, like part of me thinks, okay, I was right to an extent because his barrel rate dropped like 4%. His ex was down just a little bit. Launch angle was down. But, you know, his X batting average is, heck, 13 points higher than his, his regular batting average. Would have been more in line with last season's batting average. And then his Woba to X woba has some, some good numbers. A 462 X woba on contact is outstanding. That's like really, really good stuff. So it's, it's a mixed bag here with, with his overall numbers. But in the end, the power, the run production, the run scoring, all that good stuff was great with Max Muncy. And he found everyday playing time. And Dave Roberts actually did it correctly. Because I think, I, if I remember correctly, the reason he didn't play more games is he had a little stint on the IL. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. But – I think there was a period; otherwise, he probably have 150 plus games out there because there was no platoon when he was there. And that was my biggest thing was worried about the platoon, and that's what I get for a guy speculating and going elsewhere. But I'm, I'm more of a guy that when I draft, I like to draft more of a comfort, less risk. I'll take risk elsewhere in my draft, and where Muncy was going was much earlier than where I like to take my risk uh, risk assessments and draft. So, Max Muncy. He's been darn good, and there's a good chance that I might end up buying in on him next year and the world comes to an end. So we'll see how that one comes. But uh, I, I do like what I've seen. I see, and his approach to the plate is very good. And the fact that he can hit left, he's just fine. It's not like a kryptonite to him. I love that because that's one of the biggest platoon issues in baseball. I think that's what it was in 2018 is Dave Roberts was doing the platoon thing all the time. And then they finally realized in the second half of that season – oh, wait, Max Muncy can hit lefties. So then in 2019, he hit lefties the whole time. So it's little things like that. It's one of my biggest pet peeves in baseball when they say a lefty can't hit a lefty because they won't let him hit a lefty. So they'll never learn. And that that's just a, a thing of mine. But Muncy proved me wrong, and he helped a lot of people out in that middle infield position and corner infield. He had so much eligibility. That's another thing that was tremendous yeah. with him is multi-position eligibility. Corner infield, middle infield, first, second. It, it was It was huge. So... Muncy's a guy, and the same with Bellinger. Bellinger gained outfield eligibility, so you can move him around everywhere. Um, Muncy's a guy that I think I'll find myself on. Bellinger, I highly doubt i get there just because of the price, but Muncy, I have a, a feeling
2: I might be more in his range this season. So
1: we'll wait and yeah. see.
2: And he, he's going to maintain uh, – he's going to be eligible next year at first base, second base, and third base. Uh, next oh, that's season. huge. Oh, so, yeah. Huge. Massive. Um, so. All
1: right. Who's your third guy? Cause this is a guy I love and I got number right. so three. Yes. The love of
2: Bubba's, the love of Bubba's life and uh, a grave, great or great regret that I have. Um, so my number three player that I missed on was Jonathan VR. Um, the, the draft day price was pretty high on VR. His ADP was 67 heading into that last week of draft season. So, you know, the, the, Move up the board was real. If you were able to draft earlier in the off season and get him in, in the low, in the you know like one hundred twenty, one hundred range, you definitely got a ton of value this year. I think where I missed on VR wasn't necessarily because I didn't believe in. Um, well, part part of it was the skills, but I think a lot of it was the situation. Um, I just saw too many instances. I thought where um, he was going to lose playing time. He's a veteran on a. Very young team. And with the new Astros um, management, you know, Astros light approach, I put in my notes right here. But, you know, the fact that they had gotten some folks from the Astros, you know, who tend to value things like, you know, OBP or slugging, I didn't think that he was long for the lineup. I just saw too many instances where he was going to get platooned and not get enough playing time. Um, and I also didn't, quite frankly, think that he was good enough based on, you know, his performance in previous seasons, just from like a value perspective. Um, and then ultimately, I thought he might get traded towards the deadline as as a kind of a speed guy uh, going into the playoffs. And obviously, um, you know, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. So I think where I missed was in my evaluation of the context and the environment and, and and really how good he was going to play um, because he did get playing time and he did really, really well. I think some of the things that I couldn't see coming, you know, he did have a 7% drop in ground ball rate. And I think that, you know, is, is a really big change for him because it resulted in the increase in home runs uh, up to 24. I also think the happy fun ball, he was a guy who, He's the type of hitter that benefits greatly from that. So I'm not necessarily sure that I could have seen that. But the vast majority of his production, you know, in addition to those home runs, came with the speed, which we all knew was there. He had a higher batting average than he's had in a while. Um, and he made better contact and um, scored a ton of runs and got that playing time. So I think the result of that is just, you know, me not owning him in any of my 14 leads. And, you know, and that... Uh, that th- I could have used that speed. Uh, let's just say uh, in a couple of key leagues. So definitely missed there. And and kudos to you for being on him from the get go. Thank you.
1: And I understand where your your kind of guess, trepidation was where he was being drafted. I get the the scare there because it's like one year he's been great, one year he's been really really bad. I guess what I was going off of was that second half playing in Baltimore. They have nothing to lose to let him run. So I was like all about that. And did I think he's going to hit for the power and average that he hit for? No, like part of it maybe, but not all of it, not a chance at heck, not, not, not going to happen, but I was getting him for stolen bases. Give me maybe 10 plus homers and everything. And it worked out, but he, he, he outproduced that. It'll be interesting this next year though, because in the mock drafts we've already done, he's going quite high and there's a chance he gets traded at the deadline. And if he gets traded, that can make things interesting again. So, you know, you might lose that ability just to run free. So it'll be real interesting to see what happens with Johnny V this year. But if the price is right, I'll be there. But I have a feeling he keeps moving up. It's going to be different. And also with the mock draft so far, I've been able to get some steals earlier than than normal. So I don't have to go kind of pushing around earlier or something for Johnny VR. So we'll see how that goes. All right. My third guy, this is a guy that's been a kryptonite to me every year since he's been in the big. So two years now. And I still look at his numbers, and I just I, – I, I don't – he's like – he's the new hobby bias for me. That's the best way I can describe it, is Glaber Torres. I said last year when he hit 271 with 24 homers and 123 games, I was like, nope, no way to do it. You look at his X stats, and it just – it doesn't line up. So what's he do this year? He's hits 278 with 38 home runs, drives in 90, and scores 96. And it's just impressive watching what the kid does. And I, in the postseason, they keep putting up the numbers – with guys – with no one on base, he hits, like, 260. With, like, runner on base, it's 280. With runners in scoring position, he's hit, like, 310. It's ridiculous what Glaber does, and that's why he gets the run production he does. But you look at his X stats, and it's it's kind of it, – this is where I get confused on him. That's where I kind of get turned off every year. His hard hit percentage is a 33rd percentile in baseball. His X-WOBA is 63rd. His X batting average is 50-51. You look at all his X stats to his real stats, he's outproducing everything. Some by a lot, some by a little. His barrel rate's not bad, but his exit velocity is only 89. Like I'm looking at things that don't stand out as world beaters like Glaber is. Sure, the bouncy ball helps, but he's been doing this throughout the minors. And this is why I got to maybe just – it's the Javi Baez approach where right? I just turn it on in my head and go, you know what, he's different. He, he's much different because you look at his ground ball rate, he, he's got almost a 38% ground ball rate, only a 30% fly ball rate, yet he's hitting all these home runs. He pulls the ball 41% of the time. So that's tremendous, as you've, you've noticed with other guys. It's very, very important, obviously, to to pull the baseball. But with, with Glaber, it's just one of those things I can't quite understand. Even in Yankee Stadium, the right field is the short porch, not the left field. So I guess I'd have to look deeper in. Does he hit a bunch of home runs the right field? I don't think it's enough to make a difference. It, you know, was it 30 home runs instead of 38 maybe? I, I don't know. It, it's really, really confusing looking at his, his X stats. But it's a guy I definitely got wrong. He's a guy like I crossed off a list. When I I had my stats out from last year, uh, I had Glaber Torres at the shortstop 11 for me, second baseman 12. Like I was wanting nothing to do with him. And I I still like the guys that are ahead of him. I don't feel bad for having them that far down there. But I know a lot of people had him much, much higher. And yeah, I have no shares, Glaber Torres, and I got to. I don't know, maybe you see something different, but I got to convince myself that he just does, he, he kind of defies a lot of the metrics that we've grown to like. And it's very, very strange.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I was not uh, super high on Glaber. I think he was going around like pick 55. And I was, I, I thought he was okay, but I just thought, you know, kind of he might be a little bit better in a, um, uh, you know, a little, uh, maybe 30, 20, 30 picks below that, but, you know, hitting in that lineup is obviously nice. I think hitting in that ballpark, um, may benefit him. He did have a pretty high, um, uh, uh, hard hit pulled fly ball rate, which again is not a predictive stat. So I don't know if I would, you know, I don't think I'd certainly expect him to hit this same level of power just because the other metrics aren't as supportive. Uh, 7.1% barrel per plate appearance is, is um uh, is solid. Uh, and he did hit about just about as many home runs on the road as he did at home. So all in all, I think the biggest improvement for me and what was most impressive was uh, the improvement in contact rate. So he, he increased his contact rate by about three and a half percent. So just putting a lot more balls uh, in play. And you saw that uh, reflected in a 4% decrease in his K rate too. So you know, all in all, a solid player. But again, I think you know, you mentioned it with um, with VR. I think these are the guys who are going to get pushed up the board a little bit and are really going to test you about, you know, is this a season that he's going to repeat or are you paying for last season's production? So I'll be really interested when the when the projections do come out where they have him, um, where where they have him and a number of other guys that we're covering right here because you don't want to say and make the same mistake twice by not believing in guys, but. For a lot of folks who are here, I see him, and I'm kind of like, ah, I'm probably not going to own Bellinger. I'm probably not going to own VR next year, and and probably not Glaber, given where they're likely to go um, in, in drafts. But we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. But I, I agree with you. I was I was a little down on him too.
1: Yeah, it was it was not a fun one for me. I'm actually pulling up Fangrass has the 2020 Zips projections out, and that's not usually a projection I use often, but it's the only one out there. And I'm trying to look up Glaber, but I can't find him anywhere just yet. So go on with your next guy. And if I find something that's interesting, I'll mention number four.
2: Okay, cool. Yeah, and I think those are the those are the three-year projections that Zip does. And so I'm not sure how yeah. often they get updated and how they factor in things like the the happy fun ball. But um, my number four was – I mean, I, I, this guy was a disappointment for me, I think, and the level of confidence that I had in him going into the season. He also showed up in my bold predictions. I do think overall he was fine. Um, and that's Adam Frazier of the pirates. Um, so kind of what I was expecting, he showed glimpses of increased power, um, in, uh, in 2018, he came back from the minors and was just, uh, he hit a bunch of barrels, his hard hit rate, um, was up uh, about seven percent uh, from 2017 in 2018, despite the unjuiced balls last year. Uh, he doesn't strike out a lot. He makes a ton of contacts. He was hitting first uh, in the Pirates lineup, and so all of that really pointed to me to a guy who could score a bunch of runs, who maybe would surprise a little bit with power, and then uh, and then have a solid batting average because of his elite contact rate and you know, Adam Frazier is remarkably consistent. Uh, that is for sure. And he pretty much did what the projections were thought he was going to do, but not what I thought he was going to do. I think I put down that he was going to be a top 15 second baseman in my, um, in my bold prediction, he ended up uh, top 30. And so I think what happened, uh, you know, in terms of what I missed, you know, He ended up hitting 10 home runs, so he didn't show any additional power than he had shown previously. That was actually how many home runs he hit in 2018 uh, in 250 less plate appearances. And so I think, you know, over a small sample, like, you know, sometimes you got to invest in a small sample and he didn't cost a lot. And so it's not like I'm bummed out that I invested in him, but the power just didn't hold. It was just a small sample size fluke. It was variance. And so his power regressed back to where it had been previously in his career. And then I think, you know, I was just much higher than him on the projections. And the projections were just um, uh, incredibly right on, on Frazier. I'm getting them up right now. So his line over the course of the season um, was uh, 278 with 10 home runs, 80 runs, 50 RBI, and five stolen bases. And then uh, Frazier's um, projection uh, was uh, it was two seventy six with seventy runs, eleven home runs, and fifty six RBI with ten stolen bases. Now I didn't believe in the stolen bases because he really hadn't shown those at the major league level. But you give a little bit of the RBI to the runs, uh, and you consider the the happy fun ball and the 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 projection was pretty much right on. And so you still got some value, but definitely a disappointment. He did not hit for the power or the batting average or really get to the runs that I was hoping he would get to, uh, given the the situation. So I think mostly I missed on the power with him.
1: Yeah, he still had a a good year, but I I get what you're saying. It was weird because, like, Newman came in and took some time away from Frazier. So Mm -hmm. it was something we didn't really see coming earlier in the year. Frazier seemed like that nice leadoff. Late round kind of middle infield option that seemed quite productive. So it was it was odd. You might be a guy that's worth tagging into late late in drafts next year. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that whole team plays now with the new uh, manager and you know some other coaching staff changes there in Pittsburgh. Um, my number four is one I was super high on coming into the year, and that name is Manny Machado. I had him as my second shortstop off the board. This year, that was obviously not the end result. There, I was not worried about where he was going, and you know, I, I thought he had a really, really bad year. And then I go look at his numbers, and it wasn't great, but it almost mimicked last year outside of his RBI production. You know, five fewer homers, he's still at 32 homers, scored 81 runs, um, 85 RBIs compared to 107 sucks, but only five stolen bases. We kind of know Machado is not going to start, he's, he's going to keep slowing down on the base paths. That, that's one thing we've seen coming outside of 18, you know, previous two years, nine and zero, he had a 20 and then a two. Like he has a couple of fluke seasons out there, but stolen bases have been decreasing with Manny Machado. The strikeout rate going up about 5% was quite a shocker. And then you look at his average of 256 with a 274 BABIP. It was just a, an odd, like just productive year. And then you look at his, his stat cast page though, you know, he's 87th percentile on exit velocity, 78th in hard hit rate. His X stats look good in the grand scheme of things they're still not great you know his ex batting average would be 260 you want better than that from Machado but you know the barrel rate dropped down to eight percent that that is definitely cause for concern so his overall quality of contact just wasn't great this year and that that definitely had something to do with his BABIP and his his overall batting average declining and I think that's something that I could definitely see him, him change like his zone con his own swing rate dropped down his own contact was pretty similar to his his zone swing rate was was down almost 3%, 3.5% from 18, which is, is pretty big if you look at a guy that likes to attack in the zone and he's not attacking him all the time. It, it will it will uh, affect what's going on. So we're going to have to wait and see with Machado. I think maybe year two of a new contract, you might see a very good Machado. I think we can get a discount on Machado come draft time this year. I, I was talking to someone else about him. I kind of think Machado is going to be the 2020 draft version of, say, Chris Bryant. Or, or maybe even uh, the 2018 uh, 17 version of Bryant, where you get him, uh, you know, late second uh, round or something like that, maybe early third with Machado. I'm going to buy back into him. I think the talent level is just just too good, and, and you know, maybe there'll be better picks around that time of the draft. They'll be better suited for my team, but I'm not completely crossing them off my list. He had a very ugly season when it comes to to certain parts of his metrics, but then there's other parts where the power was still there. The the bouncy fun ball obviously helped because if you look at the rest of his stuff, barrel rate dropped from 11 to 8% and and whatnot. So it was sketchy to say the least. But at the same time, I know the talent's there. He's still super young. He's going to be 28 years old next year. In the middle of that order, Fernando Tatis played for a whole season, plus more just just awesome young players in that Padres lineup. Comfort zone, he's going to be there for a while. I'm okay with Machado next year at the right price because – He's still a great source of power. He can play shortstop, third base, middle infield, corner infield. Does it all. He just doesn't steal, which stinks. But I expect the average to pop back up, the power to be legit, and then things come back to normal for Machado. I could be totally wrong, but I, I think we'll see a better Machado and you'll get him at a discount this year.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how far he falls um, for sure um, because... He went uh, 36th overall, I think, on average in the in the two early mock drafts. But I think in the most recent NFBC, uh, NFBC's done like one draft, and he was uh, he was he was pretty low down there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up.
1: Yep. Who's your next guy?
2: My next guy is uh, is Jose Altuve. So in terms of what I was expecting, I looked back at my rankings heading into this year, and I had Altuve number eight overall heading into 2019. And I think that was because I believed in, you know, both the batting average and the speed. And I just saw those as both, you know, the speed, not necessarily as elite skills. He was projected to have 21 stolen bases this year um, and to hit 312, I think. And and so I think what I was thinking was before his injuries in 2018 he was looking really good in both batting average and stolen bases and I think he ended up his his batting average was fine I mean 298 in today's day is is terrific but it's not what you're hoping from for a guy who um you know routinely is among the league leaders in batting average Um, you know, that 312, even that seemed a little low um, as projections often seem, you know, especially with batting average. And so uh, I think the batting average was a big disappointment. Uh, From my perspective, the counting stats weren't uh, terrific, right? Um, Under 100 in in both runs and RBI, he was injured for a little bit. Uh, And then the six stolen bases was the real big hit. If you were relying on uh, Altuve four stolen bases coming up 15 stolen bases short uh, of your of your projection heading into the season is huge and he obviously made up for it with uh, or not made up for it but he 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 hit 31 home runs so seven more than he's ever hit in his career uh which is which is awesome and you saw with his hard hit rate but that's not really what fantasy owners wanted when they drafted him they wanted batting average and stolen bases and he didn't give that to you, and that left you hurting in a couple uh, couple areas. For me in TGFBI, you know, I, I finished towards towards the bottom in, in batting average where I had him, and I also struggled to really uh, get the level of stolen bases that I that I needed. And so that's really where it hurt uh, hurt for me, I think. Um, and so what i what I missed, I think the the happy fumble is responsible for a lot of it in the sense that. You know, his um, uh, batting average, um, he really went for more of a power approach this year. You could see it with a drop in contact rate, a surge in hard hit rate. That helped with the with the 31 home runs. Um, and so, you know, obviously that was helpful. But um, I think what happened was the Astros, because of the happy fumble, because everybody around him, himself included, was hitting 30 to 40 home runs really didn't see the need for stolen bases. And so nobody on that team uh, really uh, stole a ton of bases. And I think that's what happened there. And I think that's something that we need to factor in uh, to next year's stolen base projections for teams like the Astros, for teams like the Twins, um, who really didn't attempt any stolen bases in the second half of the season. We need to factor that into the projections and the fact that we're likely to have the happy fun ball again, and so a lot of these teams that have a lot of power um, are not going to, um, you know, they're not they're not going to run as much, and that's going to make stolen bases even harder to get.
1: Yeah, no, that that's a big thing I, I, with the Astros twins and other teams is if they're not running, we're in trouble, and these guys are only getting older also, like Altuve and everything with his leg injuries. We're not going to see a lot of these guys running either, so it'll be Interesting to see how that it does show up in the projections, like you're saying. With have to factor that in when these things come out. But Altuve was a guy that I liked this year. I didn't like at him at his price either. There's guys that were super excited to get him at the end of the first round, and there's just other guys I liked as well. So no Altuve for me, which is a shame because the guy is so darn good. and He's thriving in the postseason right now as usual. All right, my fifth guy, this is one that's uh, – I'm not going to go too deep into this one, Jose Peraza. I had him as my twelfth or thirteenth shortstop off the board, way too high. The reason I had him there is I really liked the production I saw at the end of last season. He finished the year with fourteen homers, twenty-three stolen bases, third straight year at twenty or more stolen bases. He played in one hundred and fifty-seven games. He was in the like either at the top of the the, the the Reds order or at least in a good spot towards the bottom, like all the way down in eighth, was gonna get screwed. He was being very productive in that order. I was expecting that to carry over to nineteen. Well, it turns out he barely even, like, after spring training, wasn't even a real factor in the leadoff position, hitting at the bottom of the order, ended up into the minors a few times this year, hit two thirty six homers, seven stolen bases. It was an absolute disaster. You look at his stat cast page, and this is the last thing I'll mention it's just embarrassing. His exit velocity was the fifth percentile. His hard hit rate was the seventh. His ex is the 12th. His X slug is the eighth. It is absolutely dreadful what took place with Jose Peraza this year. And the the really bad part is you figured with Scooter Jeanette hurt and everything, Peraza would have a chance. No, it didn't matter because Derek Dietrich took that over. And then it just spiraled to Senzel and other guys. So Peraza, he's still only 25. There's chance for development here to improve. I'm going to have to see a lot this spring to buy back in. He's going to be either a late round pick or someone to watch on the waiver wire because the production is there. The speed's legit with Jose Peraza. But the playing time might not be and the just drop off from his previous two to three seasons to this year was dramatic. So Jose Peraza was a guy I missed on a lot. I know it's not a popular name, but he's one that I thought could have been a sneaky stolen base edition. Not so much.
2: Yeah, that's that one. That one was a tough one from the get go. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was like a lot of of hope, hope for him and it was just downhill from the start.
1: So who's your next one?
2: Uh, the next one that I have is the same one that you have. Um, and that is Danny Jansen catcher for the blue Jays. I believe I had him. Well, I have my rankings right here, which is always fun. Like have your rankings and save them and then look back at them at the end of the year so that you can just weep about how wrong we are and how little (laughs) we know about anything. Um, so Danny Jansen, I had him as my seventh catcher off the board. Um, uh, and I, I had him in quite a few places, and so I think what I was expecting or what I was looking forward to, you know, he only had 95 plate appearances in uh, 2018, but in that those plate appearances, he showed very good plate discipline. He showed really good contact skills and a high fly ball approach, and so I felt that that uh, bode well for uh, him in year two. He also appeared to have a really good run at A lot of playing time when Russell Martin got traded to the LA Dodgers, which, by the way, can you believe the Nationals and just getting destroyed by Russell Martin in game three? I mean, yeah, didn't see that coming. That was sad, like any other player in that lineup, but to lose that against Russell Martin, it's great they won today. I mean, that Strasburg uh, Bueller matchup in game five is going to be nasty. Yeah. Just, just if I'm the Dodgers, I'm just like, somehow figure out a way to get uh get to that nationals bullpen um yep. so b- back to a, a less fun subject of danny Jansen's struggles uh he did have a 6.3 <laughs> percent barrels per plate appearance last year which is really good um you, you know he did only have a 20 percent hard hit rate so a little bit of a disconnect between those two numbers there in terms of the contact quality in terms of what i missed you know uh Obviously, I had him too high as a rookie. I think that was one thing. You know, we did not have a big sample size, and I invested a lot in that in addition to his his AAA numbers. But he did get unlucky this year. 207 batting average, a 244 expected batting average, according to Baseball Savant. A 278 WOBA against a 313 expected WOBA. And a 313 expected WOBA is not, um, you know, that's not anything to write home about. It's slightly worse than league average. But for a catcher who you know, theoretically could get um, a ton of plate appearances, that that could be something. But the batted ball quality never really materialized for uh, Jansen. He got unlucky, but only a 4.2% barrels per plate appearance. He did have a big spike in his hard hit rate at 42%. So I imagine that his real power lies somewhere in the middle of the two seasons that we've seen. So maybe barrels, you know, around 5% or something like that, slightly better than league average and then the hard hit rate um, slightly lower than, than this year, something like that. His contact rate and his play discipline also declined a little bit. And I think more importantly, his ground ball percentage increased by 6%, so he hit less, fewer balls in the air. So all in all, I think you know it, it was definitely a miss because I had him up high, and, and, um, and he was not a valuable guy this year. But I do think that there was a little bit of lack of luck there for Jansen, he's going to be in a better lineup next year with everybody having another year to develop. So I think he makes for a pretty good uh, catcher two target with with some some upside next year. Um, and so I still believe, uh, maybe not as much as I did la- uh, coming into this year, but I do still think that there's a good player in there.
1: Yeah, I'm 100% on board with everything you said there. I think there's a very good player in there. I'll buy back in this year, especially in two catcher leagues, like you're saying. Uh, and one catcher league is probably maybe not, unless I just say screw it and punt it. Because what he did this year, I think, might be like the low of lows for him. If you look at his overall numbers and all the stats you mentioned, he should definitely be higher than this. A 230 Babip is, is crazy to think about. If you look at all his numbers through the minors, his, his batting average, the big thing I know you and I talked about the barf draft last year, he's great for OBP. This year, he gets a 279 OBP. It was just everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. And then we got all excited because he had that hot streak right in the middle of the season. And we're like, Oh, here comes second half Danny Jansen. And then that disappeared. It was just, it was so, it was so tough. It was really, really tough because the talents there, he gave us a glimpse of it. I'm with you that he's still so young. That offense is going to be so, so good. He's going to have a chance to, to improve next year. He can't be much worse. Like, I think this is the floor of floors for him. And, he, his defense is good enough where he's going to be in the lineup a lot. Like they're going to keep him out there. He's young. I do like him next year. I'm with you. I, I, won't, I won't go much farther on that because you nailed it. That we, we saw a lot of the same things there. And it's just, this is one it's tough, especially in a world where catchers was just so loaded this year. It really made him stand out more than normal. If it was just like a regular catcher year, he still had a bad season, but it wouldn't have hurt you so much because you'd have been like, oh, 13 homers. Okay. 207 average stinks, but 13 homers. From my catcher, I'll take it. That that's not bad. Well, this year, this year it's bad. So, yeah, next year we'll move on and go onward and upward. I'm looking forward to your next one here. Who do you have at number seven? Because I <laughs> almost put him down because that my preseason first baseman ranks. I had him as the fourth first baseman off the board for me. So, how what did you have for Joey Votto?
2: Yeah, so Votto heading into next year, let's take a look. Uh, for my first best ranks, I had him as the number six. Uh, first baseman heading into this year in between Jose Abreu and Joey Gallo. Can you imagine, like, drafting um, Votto before Gallo and Olsen now? <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: I had I had Votto right in front of Olson Bell and Bellinger. I would have been like, oh, oh nice. man.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think with Votto, you know, what I was expecting, I, I thought that Father Time had not caught up with Votto. I felt like he had a, a little bit of a back injury, I think, last year um, and that his power when healthy would return not to you know his career high levels but to about 25 home runs um, and that his batting average would also um, improve with that and really neither of those uh, things transpired Um, he just was he wasn't good Uh, father time always wins um, I think it was uh, Rob Silver who mentioned heading into the season kind of kept on harping on the fact, even though he's a fellow Canadian, that, you know, no first baseman, you know, who was that old had really been able to, um, you know, return to uh, the the type of production they had had previously after such a fall off. And that really uh, came to pass. Um, the numbers continue to fall. The power is virtually you know, 15 home runs in today's day and age, especially from a first baseman, is nothing. Um, even though he was batting first for a lot of the season, he only scored 79 runs. Uh, his, even his O-swing uh, was at 21.1%, which is great, but not for Votto. Contact rate continues to decline um, for the second consecutive year. And then even though the hard hit rate was solid, it's just not resulting in anything. The barrel rate was not good. Um, I just think that there is, um, I think we've kind of seen the peak of Joey Votto. And I think it's, whether it's a slow decline or an abrupt decline has already happened, but whether it's more abruptness to the decline or, you know, whatever it looks like, I hope he goes somewhat gracefully, but, you know it's hard to justify giving Votto, you know, a, a long leash at first base at this point in the Reds' kind of progress. When you got when you got interesting young guys like Josh Van Meter who can who can play first base or um, or others. So obviously very disappointing, but um, you know, father Father Time always wins, and uh, it looks like with Votto that um, you know we've we've seen his best seasons in the rearview. Or his best seasons are in the room. That's correct. Same.
1: Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing Votto turn into the uh, Miguel Cabrera age. He's 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 moving into that category where they're going to keep playing, but they're just clogging up our fantasy spots. They're just ruining the situations out there. So it sucks because he's still a fun guy and, and good, but uh, yeah, production is not there. And in the, in the era of the bouncy ball, if he can't do it, it's not looking good. Um, my number seven is the guy that I've been high on the last couple years, and he's just declined each of the last two seasons. And I had this as my eighth ranked outfielder going into the season. I had high hopes for Andrew Benintendi, and those high hopes were not met. Of course, the kid is is only twenty five years old, so maybe there's time to grow. But he's gone from twenty homers and seventeen to sixteen and eighteen to thirteen last season with only seventy two runs only 68 RBIs and only 10 stolen bases. You know, he was 20-20 in 17, 16-21 in 18, 13-10 in 19. He spent some time on the I.L. He only played 138 games, but the average dropping down to 266, his K percentage went from 16% to almost 23%. And a lot of that, you just look straight at his zone zone swinging. He swings 2% more uh, in the zone, but his zone contact dropped 5%. He was chasing it 5.5% more times out of the zone. He was all over the place. His whiff percentage was uh, up 6% to 25% whiff percentage. It was uh, it was rough for Ben Intendi last year. And when you look at like his his barrel rates, his exit velocity, all that stuff, those numbers kind of jumped a little bit. But it was his overall contact that just dropped tremendously and really put a dent on things. I'm. I i do not know what to do with the kid. It's one of those. I kind of have to wait and see now because I, I bought it so much. He's. It was just. It was rough. It was really rough. He's jumping to that Jackie Bradley Jr. range, but that offense is still good. But bets bets might be gone. JD might be gone. There's gonna be a rebuild there or a retool. I'll say because rebuild might offend some Red Sox fans. A retooling of the Red Sox. Ben Benintendi will be there. He's a big piece of it. But my goodness. Uh, He's, you know, looking at his his stat cast metrics and all that other good stuff. He's an average hitter at best. And I think it's time for me and maybe others to start dropping him down to the average outfield rankings. And I'm talking like outside top 30 or 40 even farther. Like what he's doing production-wise is almost not even draftable. It's it's that low. So he'll get drafted next year because, A, he's a Red Sox, and, B, he does have, you know, potential – but what he's he's done the last couple of years and the decline we're seeing is not pretty. And it's definitely worth monitoring. Maybe he makes a swing change. We've seen it. Like I said, he's 25. There's a lot of adjustments that can be made. So there there's time for him to grow. But what we've seen the last three years, the decline has been rough to watch. And I bought in. And now I am buying out. I find it highly unlikely I'll own Andrew Benintendi next season. Yeah, it you is? Have, Yeah.
2: Yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, I, I, as you know, and as I mentioned earlier, I, I drafted him and uh, regretfully so in, in one of my main events that I ended up doing well and, but could have been so much better if I had not stuck with him. I think what you pointed out about that contact rate dip is, is definitely a curious thing. And I think he may have been going for that power. Um, yep. And, you know, his hit tool has always been the calling card and maybe he should go back to that next year and focus a little less on power and focus a little bit more on making contact, um, putting the ball in play, because it just doesn't look like he has that power ability. You mentioned the Statcast cast data, not looking good. You know, this is a guy who should be in his, in his prime at 25. So uh, agree. I, I, the one, the one caveat I'd put in there is that the stolen bases, you know, while 10 is, is not what you were hoping for after two seasons of 20, um, you could see that coming back next year yes. he was still successful on 10 out of 13 so uh, who who knows what ends up happening but as you mentioned yeah quite quite the disappointment there um my number eight player was um was Daniel Murphy um and I mean this was uh this was just a brutal one um, you know, cause I think everybody went in expecting a really elite batting average. You have kind of the guy for batting average or one of the guys for batting average. And he goes to the spacious confines of, of Coors field and everybody's just salivating with the type of uh, batting average value that he could provide you with. And, and that's not uh, what we got. I think from the get-go, it was just bad. He was injured that first part of the season and really, really struggled and never really recovered. He had a couple, a nice couple months towards the middle of the season, but the power was non-existent. The um, uh, the counting stats uh, were terrible. Um, I mean, 56 runs, 78 RBIs, 13 home runs, no speed, 279 batting average. I mean, it's just, absolutely atrocious like you couldn't have been he couldn't have been he couldn't have been worse I'd rather have him be injured because then he wouldn't have been in my lineup uh putting together those crap stats but um all in all super disappointing and then by the end of the season he was just a platoon bat they were sending him against lefties last couple weeks of the season they had him out um for uh some of the younger guys to give them a run just all in all just a a craptastic season from Daniel Murphy.
1: Yeah. And one thing you said right out the gate there is you weren't the only one. Um, I'm pretty sure myself and anybody with the, uh, the pulse that's being honest was very excited for Daniel Murphy to become a Colorado Rocky and the fantasy implications that came with that. And yeah, not happening. So if it wasn't you, it was going to be someone else that took that plunge on him and it did not work out so well And with the platooning and towards the end of the year, and the young players that actually started to get to play towards the end of the season for the Rockies, probably because they were out of it. I'm curious to see how they go in the next season. Do they utilize uh, Daniel Murphy full time again? Or do they say, you know what, we got these young kids and let's see what happens. So it'd be really interesting to see how that plays out in Coors. All right. My, Oops, your number, eight. my number eight. This one hurts because I'm a big fan of big Reese Hoskins. And you look at it, if you just look at a stat sheet, it's actually not bad. It's it's not it's not great. Twenty nine homers, eighty six runs, eighty five RBIs. You know that's ten fewer ribbies, five fewer homers than the year before. He had two twenty six instead of two forty six. It's 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 not horrific, but it's not great. He played seven more games. The reason why it's not great is it's the bouncy ball. And a guy of Reese Hoskins' status should be destroying the bouncy ball, and he was not. And some things that really stood out is his exit velocity was only sixty third percentile. This is a guy. In recent years, if people look at his old stat cats, he was all red all the time. This guy was crushing baseballs all over the place. He's middle of the pack, 48th percentile hard hit rate. That is not going to cut it when you're looking at a guy like Reese Hoskins. And then his ex batting average, third percentile, X slug, 33rd. He was struggling in a big, big way this season. It, it was crazy to look at. He hit 226. His X batting average is 216. Like, technically he should have produced even worse than he was so the bouncy ball in theory works for him if that makes any sense like it, it worked because he outperformed what his metrics said he should have a couple of things you know the strikeout rate wasn't that much higher it was just um his overall production his barrel rate was almost two percent lower his uh you look at his, his his zone rate and everything it was pretty similar but he chased the ball almost three percent of the time more out, out of the zone that'll definitely have an impact on your overall production because now you're you're trying, he's, he could have been like you said with Ben and Dindy. he might have been going for the uh, the yak at all times instead of just putting the ball in play. And you know, you got Harper who was hitting behind him a lot, so you think Hoskins would have better, better options uh, of pitch selection there. It wasn't there, it, it's just weird. You look at his metrics, pull percentage is almost identical, a lot of his numbers are very, very similar outside of maybe the chase rate and a couple of other things, but most of it's almost in line with everything he's done before, like whip percentage is a point and a half higher like it's not crazy differences with reese hoskins maybe there's an injury in there i I remember he was battling something on and off throughout the season that could have something to do with it but for the for what i expected from reese hoskins and what we got from reese hoskins was not there again a similar trend with a lot of these guys he's only 26 super young these are all guys that can bounce back but they uh they burned me this year and reese hoskins is definitely one of them
2: definitely i've got some big news baba yeah, I was wondering if you saw that. We got a fire. We got a fire. Fire eagle alert!
0: Wee ah There we go. I was wondering I if I was getting sound has. effects.
2: I there was you hoping. go. Those are professional sound effects, only available on the Bubba and the Bat podcast. But that is the fire eagle siren uh, going off right there. Eddie Rosario, home run number one in the playoffs, doing everything that he possibly can to keep. Our beloved twins, the Bomba Squad, in it. Yes. Don't know if it's going to be enough, but gosh darn it, it is! Uh, it is a wonderful thing to see Eddie trotting around the bases.
1: Yeah, it, it was good to see, him. they're hitting the ball hard the last few innings. It's just like Judge made a heck of a play to stop on uh, Canelo so no last inning. They're, the Twins are they're trying, but sadly, I don't know if it's going to be enough.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's, uh, it's yeah it's it's a little it's a little rough who's your number eight uh my number eight is going to be a guy that i absolutely love heading into next year he's top of my list i'm thinking of drafting him in the top three um of all picks heading into next year (laughs) that's a lie uh that is it's aussie albies um you know and i think albies kind of falls into the category of cody bellinger for me and One thing I'd highly recommend to people is to use projections. You don't have to live and die by projections, but use projections because I do think that they're really helpful at at least having us question our biases. So like an example would be like with Bellinger, I had him in 2017 and he was awesome. And then he had a downer year in 2018 and I kind of bought into the downerness of that 2018. Um And I felt like there was maybe a little bit of bias in there and, and the projections helped me catch that. And then with Albies, um, you know, I thought he didn't have the year that everybody was expecting. He was a disappointment, but when you run the numbers with the power, the speed and the decent batting average that he was projected to get, you know, he was projected to be the f- uh, 49th best player this year, based on um, the projections that I had with a two seventy four average, 16 stolen bases and 20 home runs. And nothing really jumps out at you as being crazy good, but um, but it's an, but it's balanced enough that it provides a lot of value. And so with Albies, I was very down on him. Like I did a series of podcasts where I did kind of pro player analyses. And because the skills aren't that pretty, like the O swing is high and he doesn't hit the ball all that hard, or he didn't hit the ball all that hard previously. Like I wasn't a huge fan, but the the um, the projections did catch me a little bit where I was like, okay, there's some value here. But again, I didn't own him in in 14 leagues. I traded him in a dynasty, or not a dynasty league, a keeper league that I have where guys are on contracts and I had him in the 14th round. And I got a little too cute with that one, but I, I traded him. And he ended up being, you know, solid to start off with. He had a little bit of a blip, but he had an absolutely um, incredible season when all was said and done. A 295 batting average. I mean, just think about, Jose Altuve, right? He had the same batting average essentially as Jose Altuve. He had more runs, he had more RBIs, he had more stolen bases, and seven less home runs. And this is a guy who's still 22, right? He's going to be 23 heading into next year. And I think we saw some really positive development. So where I was wrong with Albies is I was focusing a lot on the low hard hit rate. I was focusing a lot on the, um, you know, the uh, chase rate, which was really, really bad. And I think what I failed to Think about was here's a guy who in his age twenty two season has a year and a half already in his uh, in his pocket. You know he's in a really solid lineup, surrounded by some talent, at least at the top half of that lineup. I was worried he was going to bat towards the end of the of the lineup, um, but he was just too good. And what I failed to factor in was just the level of development for a talent uh, as good as he is, a guy who is in the majors and has this many played appearances 1500 by the age by his uh you know before his age 23 season and he showed that growth and i mean it's not that different of a season compared to 2018 except for really in in batting average and so i actually think that there uh i think there's more there um for uh, albies i think there's more power um as he gets older and so i i, I my bold prediction heading into next year is probably going to be like a 35 20 season, um, from Albies. And I, and I think that's within the the realm of possibility for him. So I, I doubted him because I was, I was looking at the skills. Um, and I don't suggest that you not look at skills, but I think with young guys who are in the league uh, that early, um, I think that, that, um, you know, there's a lot of room for growth there. And I think that's what we started to see, uh for a lot of the season this year with uh with Ozzy Albies and one guy I'll just give a heads up on that I'm going to like heading into next year who might be similar to Albies um is Willie Adamas who um yes. has not hit quite like folks think he has but is still a pretty young dude who's got some really nice skills and I think has put it together in in little bits and pieces here but I think we might see a big jump from next year that's a it's a little little nugget I'll add uh, to my treaties uh, who is yeah, no, your number nine
1: well I'm a big fan of Willie Adamas as well he's a top 20 guy going into last season for me so I like what you have going on there and with Ozzy Albies just a nugget there one thing that I, I, I like with doing DFS stuff every day is I see streaks and other things like that with Albies he started out the year hitting at the bottom of the order for so long with Swanson hitting second when Swanson got hurt they moved Albies up to second and the season skyrocketed and they left him there the rest of the season for the most part so once he got put at the top of the order between Freeman and Acuna, he crushed it. So that's something to definitely keep in mind for next season. If they keep him up there, he's in for a very, very happy time with Ozzy Albee. So I like that quite a bit. All right, my number nine, you know, it's not the worst miss in the world. I, I liked him a lot. I had him as my 41st outfielder off the board, which is still a pretty high outfielder in the grand scheme of things. But Jesse Winker, I had very, very high hopes for him. He only ended up playing 113 games, only at 16 homers. He hit 269. I expected, you know, the previous two years, 299, 298. I expected a good average with some great power. And when he was hitting leadoff, he was doing that. And then they kept moving him around the lineup. Then he got hurt. Then he could, you know, was just out of the mix completely with all the different moving parts they had out there. they were playing Senzel in center and just not playing wing. It got ugly there after a while. And you just you couldn't deal with it anymore with Jesse Winker. So I don't know what they're going to do with him next year because they still have so many moving parts there in Cincinnati, but he's one of those guys just to keep an eye on, you know, his launch angle dropped down a little bit. His, um his walk rate dropped almost 5%, which is, which is pretty clutch for a guy that needs to get on base to, and work the count a little better. But, you know, his all his X stats were great. His X batting average, his X slug his X Woba. All that stuff stands out pretty, pretty good there for uh, Jesse Winker. And he's just a guy that, He was chasing the ball 4% more of the time. It's kind of a trend with these guys that I like that all of a sudden took a dive. They started chasing pitches. And once they started chasing pitches, that obviously is going to ruin your batting average and the rest of your production. So Jesse Winker, I'm not going to go too deep into him because he kind of was just a dud late in the season. But he's a guy, I guess, you know, him, Peraza, I was very high on the Reds offense. I got Eugenio Suarez right, but the rest of it didn't work out so well uh, with Cincinnati. And Jesse Winker is just another one of them, another 26-year-old that, Maybe you'll get a, spot, a a chance to get going next season. Otherwise, if he's platooning, obviously is not worth it. Who's your number ten? And your number ten actually, I almost wrote him down like three times on my list. So I'm curious yeah. to see what you have to say.
2: Well, and your Winker, I definitely could have had him on my misses too because you know, I was I was a, I was a pretty big fan heading into the season. I had him on a, on a main event team that he just uh, you know he just never got it going. And I agree with you, like. They really jerked him around a lot. I'd love to see them leave him in the lineup and give him a, a long term shot there. But um, my number ten is uh, is Travis Shaw. Um, who the hell knows what happened to Travis Shaw? I mean, it's very rare that you see that type of a just absolute, um, you know, like fall. I mean, he had been good for two consecutive years. Uh, 30-plus home runs in two consecutive years. Uh, You know, not a terrible batting average. Decent, you know, close to 200 run, uh, 200 RBI over the previous two seasons. And then all of a sudden, he just could not make uh, contact with the ball. His contact rate uh, fell more than 10% uh, this year, more than 11% this year overall in the zone, Uh, about 11% overall the plate discipline didn't go anywhere like it was still solid his hard hit rate wasn't that different than the pre- 2 previous seasons but my god it was just uh awful in every stretch of the and ima- every uh a- anything you can imagine that could have gone wrong went wrong uh for Shaw uh 216 Babbitt you know which obviously was isn't going to stick over the long term but just uh, fell apart and and this isn't one I, I I'm not sure you can really glean anything from this one so maybe I shouldn't have chosen it because it's just uh, you gotta hope the guy was just injured and and that's what we were seeing but um, all kinds of bad uh, from Travis Shaw
1: yeah it was all kinds of bad and the, and the bad part well, one of the other bad parts was when he got sent down he started rehabbing he started hitting again so we got all our hopes up and then that just didn't translate anymore. So, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with him either. Because I know Moose is a free agent, but Moose just is perfect for Milwaukee. And I get mad they, they don't just give him a real deal. We got Keston here and all the other weapons there. Be interesting to see what those guys do with Travis Shaw. Um, my number ten. This is a guy that I bought in for two years in a row now. Similar to similar to his teammate Benintendi, and I should have known when Rob Silver was tweeting me this off season when I was tweeting stuff about Jackie Bradley Jr. that. Hey, be careful. He he tried to talk me off the ledge. Problem was I jumped. So it didn't matter. I was all in on Jackie Bradley. I had him in so many leagues, and he got dropped in so many leagues after about a month into the season. But it's bad, and I'm starting to think it just might be who he is. You know, last three years, 17, 13, 21 homers, 8, 17, 8 stolen bases, hit 245, 234, 225. He might just be this guy that's going to strike. His strikeout rate's gone up each of the last three seasons. His it, it plate discipline. Uh, he, he chased the ball five percent more of the time this year. It was just ugly. If you look at all of his different stat pages, it's ugly what he's got going on out there. Um, it, it's hard to tell. Like his flare burner rate went down. His pull percentage dropped a little bit. Everything about him had, had a, a swoon. And he, he had a little streak there for a while where he's hitting good, got my hopes up, and then he just drowned it out again. It, it, I, I can't buy back into to JBJ. He's going to be thirty next year. So unlike some of these other guys, he's getting older. It's gonna to be tough to see, but if someone else flourishes with him next year, that's fine. But this is my formal announcement that I will be off JBJ. He is someone else's problem going forward.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. I also had uh had some decent hopes for uh JBJ, but I did not uh I didn't have him that many places, so um he wasn't able to hurt me too bad. But um yeah, I mean yeah. it just goes he to show you like one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think of all the players uh, playing for the Red Sox this year, I think JBJ may be the most likely to get traded. Um, I think he's heading into arbitration, and they're expecting him to get a decent uh, decent little raise here, and so uh would not be surprised to see him uh, moved somewhere else. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with him.
1: Yep, he is ARB eligible this year, so that's a good point there, and the free agent after next season. so there honestly we probably could have done like 10 more players each because that's just how this game works but um it was fun getting to reminisce on 20 players or so that we got wrong you know talking it out and seeing what the issues are but it'll be it'll be fun as we keep going pitchers next week and then we'll talk about some good stuff too it won't be all doom and gloom this offseason. but sometimes it's 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 better to learn from the mistakes than kind of you know praise what what went right at least in my opinion um on this fancy baseball stuff because you know, a lot goes right, but uh, a lot more seems to go wrong. And that's why, you know, you do so well with all the moves you make. If everything went so right, you wouldn't have to do so many moves. What went wrong to have to make the moves? Stuff like that to kind of evaluate uh, as we go on. And we all go through that kind of stuff. So will be interesting to find out. But do you have any final thoughts on this, uh, Bubba, the backflip edition 10?
2: Uh, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. It, is, it certainly is depressing to go over where you missed, but I think there's a lot uh, to be learned and hopefully – kind of some of the analysis that we've provided can help um help folks who are who are listening think about their own picks and where where we might have biases and how we can check them. I would highly highly recommend that folks use projections generally. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to follow those projections to a T, but there are publicly available projection systems like the bat, uh like steamer, like ATC and there are tools available to actually kind of take all of those projections combine them to create meta projections which is what I did this past year and you'll find a lot of times at the end of the season uh, within you know a range obviously a lot of players are um, are right around where those projections were expecting them to be and so I would definitely use those to guide uh, your process and and in a lot of the instances I think where I where I was off were instances where I you know either didn't believe the projections or or whatnot and certainly sometimes they're right sometimes they're wrong but i think that is a super helpful factor and i also think just because you were wrong this year on somebody like a lot of the guys that we talked about it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go after them next year right just like if you were um you know if you're right on a guy this year it doesn't mean you have to go after him next year as well you know each year is a new year and it's all about value and so looking to see um, whether players are, are going to be values at what you think they're going to produce versus what their draft cost is as we get closer to, uh, to drafts. But I think do your research, figure out what stats matter to you, figure out what stats, you know, research tells us matter, really hone in on those and, and try to keep those biases that you might have for or against players from, uh, from, from, from forcing you into mistakes that you don't necessarily have to make.
1: Yeah, totally. And that that's just uh, a part of it all. That's why I think it's, it's good we do this so people can realize that, you know, this is how we learn from the things and you're not the only ones that are uh, having these questions basically. So hopefully us talking it out kind of helps you see the angle of maybe why we did like them. We weren't crazy for liking them, but this is what happened and little things like that. And then the part you mentioned, I talked with, with Modica about it last week is there's so many awesome tools out there. So it's not knocking all the tools but pick a, what you like and narrow it down and focus with what you like. Don't try to go and use like eight different uh, rankings and stuff like that. Find what you like. Like you, you get your conglomerate, you make your, your projections, Toby, and, and that works for you. I use different projections. And I make my rankings. That's what works for me. But you know, if they listen to this show or they listen to another show, stick with it. Don't don't try to take like four different sets because they're all going to differ one way or another. So, so pick your poison, do your research and go from there, and, and hopefully this offseason will get you guys lined up for draft season to rock and roll and do all that fun stuff because, like you said, you got a draft this weekend. I've already started digging into rankings, and I got some writing stuff I got to do pretty soon. So I'm already looking forward to 2020, and it's only the division series in baseball. So we're not even that far done. But like you, I'm chomping at the bit to get going. I was laughing going over stuff from last year going, man, I thought I was going to take like a month off before I got going, and, yeah, we're we're back at it again. It's already begun.
2: Hmm definitely
1: but all right everybody this was uh bubba the bat flip edition 10 you can find toby on twitter at batflip crazy i'm on twitter at Bd bdentrick and until next time thanks for listening